The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. It is so wonderful that you guys like each other so much. You know, one of our values here at Artisan is community, (laughs) and you are definitely living it out right now. That's really great. (laughs) And take all the time you need. (laughs) It's not like there's football, right? Oh, the the Daytona 400 is today. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) Uh, I know it's the 500. I even know that they rigged it so that that guy got the pole position. But. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I heard that too. I don't know why I heard that. Anyway, um, we are in the third week today of a series on marriage and relationships, uh, which I hope has been really uh, as, as meaningful to you as it has been to me. And I don't say that about everything. Um, maybe I should, but I don't. Um, and I hope it's been meaningful to you, whether you're married a long time like our friends Paul and Leanne, who spoke with us last week, or like our friends Anna and Elliot, who are going to talk to us in just a minute, or whether you're not married at all, I really hope that this has been useful to you um, and helpful as you think about those things. Uh, but today's couple that's going to share a little bit of their story is Anna and Elliot Voss, and I had the uh, wonderful privilege of officiating their wedding less than six months ago, right? Less than five months, less than five months ago, even. Not that anybody's counting, right? right? <laughs> um, and so... Uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. So tell us uh, your story. So Scott introduced us. I'm Elliot. She's Anna. Um, and actually, um, so we're going to tell the story of how we met and got together, I guess. Um, and everything started right here. And I'm going to let Anna start because, well, you'll see why. So Elliot and I met um, in August of 08 when I first started coming to Artisan. Um, the first time that he remembers meeting me is in September. So not for a while until after we met. Um, but we started hanging out. Um, we were f- invited to a couple of different things by mutual friends, um, which I always thought was funny because we were actually in the same city for four years, going to different schools with tons of mutual friends and never met. Um, but we met at Artisan and started hanging out, and um, pretty soon we were hanging out. So um, this is going to look a lot like Jonathan and Chrissy's, I think. But um, <laughs> so... Um, Actually, our first, um, the first time I really remember, well, I, I kind of remember meeting her when, um, when we hung out at one of our friends' house, but then there was one Sunday after church where Anna said, hey, um, what are you doing for lunch? And I was like, um, I don't know, I'm just going home. Well, I can join you if, I, if you want, she says. So anyway, no, I wasn't going home. But anyways, um, so we, we hung out and um, uh, we went to the Highland Park, Highland, Highland Diner. Um, up the street and just had breakfast and, and talk. And that was the, my first inkling that, hey, um, this is a cool girl. Like, I kind of like that we have a lot of similar interests and similar uh, philosophies and stuff. So that was kind of my first inkling that something might be happening. 
So we hung out for a couple more months, um, like every moment we weren't at work or sleeping, and had the we're not dating, we are just friends talk about four times. Um, <laughs> at least four, I guess. Um, the last time I was finally like, well, like he knew that I liked him and I thought that he sort of liked me. And so I was like, well, do you think, you know, do you think this is, are we ever going to date? Do you think you want to date me? And he was pretty much like, well, I don't really see that happening right now. So I was like, fine. Which to me meant <laughs> right now, I don't know. I don't see that happening. So, but I don't know. But to me, it said, I don't see myself dating you. <laughs> so. Um, so I decided that I was going to move on, and um, I actually, a couple of weeks after that, got asked out on a blind date, um, and I told Elliot about it, and he was really acting really weird. He was like, oh, are you sure you want to do that? I'm not sure it's a good idea. Are you sure? Because I'm not sure. And so... <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it had been actually been, when she told me that, I'd been thinking for a couple of days, like, do I want to ask her out? Like, I think I like her, but I'm not sure. I don't want to, like, mess things up, you know. And um, it was when she told me that she was she got asked out by somebody else to a blind date that I'm, I was feeling jealous, and I'm like, well, maybe that's a good sign. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd, been, I'd been planning on asking her out, like, that Friday or something. It was Wednesday, I think, and um, I, I don't remember what. It was, it was the 28th because... I remember the date. Anyway, we, but then, so we, we like watched a movie, and then I went home, and I'm like, this is, this is dumb. I need to call her, because, or we were chatting on IM or something. Anyways, by that time, it was the 29th. <laughs> this is, this, it was the 29th, and, and I call her, and then I finally ask her out, and she's like, well, can our anniversary be the 28th, because I don't like the 29th. So we started dating, and it became pretty clear to us a couple months in that we were getting really serious and that we really wanted to be together. Um, and so <laughs> impatient planner aheader that I am, um, eventually, like maybe 10 months in, I was like, so do you think we're ever going to get married? And if so, when do you think that would be? Which, there's no good way to answer that without, like, oh, let's, yes, let's get married right now, or no, we're not going to get married. It was a trap. It was, it was a big trap. And so <laughs> I'm like, um, well, um, maybe, or I don't remember. He said, maybe sometimes you just need to let me surprise you, so just hang on, which to me was like, okay, I'm content with that answer. And... Um, then our anniversary was coming up. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, at that point, I, I had ar already obviously been thinking about asking her to marry me, um, but I wasn't. I wanted to be really sure first. So um, it was. It took me about another month after that to like really decide. Yes, I was going to do it. And then I, I, um, I picked out a ring and I talked to my parents about it. And I talked to my parents like about a month before it happened. And then she. And then my parents would call me like every week, which was really annoying. But I, so I, I wanted to ask her parents too, but after talking to my parents about it and hearing them call me all the time, I was like, okay, I'm not going to give them quite as much warning so that they don't freak out for as long. Um, so I called them about, about a week ahead of time. And, and I planned this. It, it, was, it was 
the month of our anniversary of dating. And I didn't have any good ideas for what to do to celebrate that occasion, so I decided to kill two birds with one stone and propose on that night. <laughs> so, which it, I think it worked out. But um, so I'm going to let Anna tell the story of what happened that night. So for our anniversary, we went out um, for a really nice dinner at this restaurant called Good Luck, um, which is right around the corner from where we were both living at the time. And actually, now we live together in the apartment that I started in. Um, and we had this really great dinner. Um, I had like one of the best steaks I've ever had in my entire life. Which reminds me of another story. The, uh, <laughs> when we, just after we first started dating, um, we went out to dinner with her mom and grandmother, and um, and she ordered steak, and she ordered it medium rare, and I was like, she's a keeper. <laughs> she knows how to order steak. So. so anyway, we had a really nice dinner, and then we were walking, we were getting ready to walk home, and it was kind of drizzling, and Elliot was like, we should go back um, the, the other way. We should go back the diff- a different way, because I don't want you to get your shoes all wet. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's weird. But, you know, maybe we're just having a romantic walk home and we have an umbrella. And I'm like, he's, I'm like, okay, he's not going to propose. He's not going to propose today. This is not happening. Don't get your hopes up. This is not going to happen today. So we get home to Elliot's apartment. Um, and we had decided to do gifts for our anniversary. And I had already given him uh, mine. I had um, written a song for him. And... When we got home, there was, like, this little, like, maybe four inches cubic box um, on the table. And I opened it up, and, like, in the top of it, there were some drawings um, that Elliot had done for me. And actually, one I just got tattooed on my back. Um, And then underneath, he had made me these little medals, which was based on an inside joke that we had at the time. And it just was beautiful. He had all these things written on it that he loved about me. And he was taking them out one by one and saying, you know, like, I love that you're whatever, and smart, and nice, and whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, so then there's a box in the bottom, like a tiny box, like a, a very small, pretty box. And I'm like, it's just earrings. It's just earrings. It's just earrings. <laughs> so then he reaches in and pulling, pulls out the box, and then I knew. Then I knew he was, it was really happening. And he got down on one knee and proposed. Of course, I said yes. And we uh, jumped around a little bit, and uh, I, was, I was just, like, beyond excited. Um, called our parents called our siblings who had no idea, and they were very excited. Um, And then Elliot suggested that we go over to my apartment um, to to tell my roommates. And I'm like, no, no way. I just want to have a quiet night with you. We just got engaged. Like, I just want to hang out. Um, He's like, no, let's go tell them. I'm like, they're going to want to talk forever. Luckily, she wasn't actually this obstinate. I was worried that she was going to be, but you were just kind of like, oh, okay. (laughs) So we packed up our champagne <laughs> that we had already opened, and we walked around the corner to my apartment, and we get upstairs. By the way, her apartment was on the way to the restaurant, so we, when we came back, we went around the other way. Oh. So we get up to the top of the stairs, and I, like, start yelling for my roommates, and then, like, 30 people are in my living room with champagne. And they're <laughs> it was beautiful. It was one of the, like, most beautiful nights ever it was just like our closest friends and we you know we talked to all them and told them got to tell them the story and um got to you know talk to some other friends who we called then and just stayed up and chatted till way past our normal bedtimes it was 
great. It was wonderful. It was such a good plan and um, a really beautiful time. So then we planned our wedding and got married. <laughs> and we got married here, and it was wonderful. And I think that's our story. Thank you guys for sharing that. There are, uh, there are artisan newlyweds. Um, one of the things that we're going to do in response to this series, and I mentioned it last week, um, is offer something called the Alpha Marriage Course. And uh, it's, a, I think, going to be a really great thing for, for lots of folks here at Artisan to do together. And it's uh, appropriate for people who are um, newlyweds. It's appropriate for people who have married a long time. Uh, it's appropriate for people who are going through some conflict and struggle. It's appropriate for people who feel like everything's great, but they just kind of want to do preventive maintenance, like, you know, the tune-up analogy that I used last week. So I want to run a very short promotional video, which is, you know, it's, it's maybe a little bit hokey, um, but it's, they're British, so we can forgive them. All right, so... <laughs> Marriage is about dealing with imperfection and uh, the unexpected. Are we, are we crashing our presentation computer? Is that what's happening? Because it is kind of a, an older computer. Regular checkups identify any problems, reduce the risk of breakdown, and help a car run smoothly. The best sportsmen and women spend hours being coached, practicing, and perfecting their techniques. Creating a work of art takes time, effort, and inspiration. The greatest achievements in life take patience, training, and an ability to overcome challenges, both large and small. It's the same with marriage. A strong, loving, and lifelong relationship doesn't happen by chance. It takes effort and dedication to keep the fun and romance alive, and there's lots you can learn to make even the happiest marriage better. The Marriage Course is a great opportunity to invest in the future of your relationship. If you just learn one thing that helps your marriage get better, then that's eight weeks well spent. It's about investing in it because it's, it's going well and, and you want it to stay that way. It gives you the opportunity to invest in some time in your relationship, the most important relationship in your life. You can always make your marriage better. Over seven sessions, you learn the practical tools needed to build a healthy, and lifelong marriage.
Forgive each other. Listening to each other. Resolving issues. Communication. Spending time with each other. Not arguing at night. How to resolve conflict. Remembering that we show love to each other in different ways. Around the world, thousands and thousands of marriages have benefited from the course. The marriage course has definitely brought us closer together. It took our marriage to a whole another level. We realised the importance of things like spending more time together. Marriage course is a must for everybody. And no matter how good your marriage is, you can always learn something else. So I'd say just go for it. Is it time to invest in your relationship? Find a marriage course near you. So, find a marriage course near you. Lucky you, we're running this right here <laughs> in this very room starting on Wednesday night. And um, this will involve, um, it's, uh, it's just really great. I, it, I don't, I don't want to repeat a lot of the stuff that the video just said, but uh, I hope that, that you will consider doing this if you're married. Um, and we will serve you dessert and coffee, and you'll get a, it's basically supposed to be a date for a married couple once a week, right? So um, you need to find babysitting, but we also have some folks at Artisan who have offered to help out with that, either with um, being a babysitter or with, with providing some money for babysitting. So if, if childcare is the issue for you, um, at the end of the service, we'll pass out some, some sign-up sheets for people who are interested in the course and for people who need childcare help, and we'll, we'll hopefully be able to, to take care of that for you if you need to. Um, so let's get underway with today's topic, which is common conflict. And uh, this week, Chrissy Walsh is going to start out uh, and kick off the beginning of this message. And uh, if you didn't meet Chrissy last week, uh, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's been an artist and member for a bunch of years now, and she has master's degrees in social work and in clinical psychology. She's also a PhD student in clinical psychology with an emphasis on romantic relationships. And she's done lots of... Uh, Lots and lots of research, she's done a fair bit of counseling uh, as well, and so Chrissy really knows her stuff, and she's offering a perspective during this series that uh, I think is very helpful, and it's, it's something that I just absolutely couldn't do, so I'm so grateful to Chrissy for being willing to help out with this, and uh, she's going to start us off today. Okay, so last week we talked about myths and misconceptions, and today we're going to talk about common conflicts. And actually, um, one of the things that Scott and I debated adding in as a myth last week is the idea that people in happy relationships shouldn't fight, or you know, if we have conflict, then maybe we should, uh, maybe we should divorce, or maybe we shouldn't stay together anymore. So that is a myth. <laughs> Probably most people here who've been married for a good uh, bit of time will say, yeah, you do have conflict. But it is really, it's normative. It's normal for couples to have conflict. It's also normal for couples to have recurrent conflicts, conflicts that don't get solved. So things that come up over and over again in your relationship that uh, you talk about and you can't necessarily come up with an answer to or come up with a resolution to. Sometimes those are... Those are the results of personality differences, like someone being an introvert and the other one being an extrovert and wanting kind of different things from social time with friends. Or it could be something like from your family background and how you guys maybe have different expectations. So conflict is common and normal, and recurrent conflict that doesn't necessarily get solved is also common and normal. Um, so actually what we're going to talk about today specifically are... Um, 
some of the top conflicts that couples usually identify in, in um, research and in therapy, and we've come up with a list of five that seem to be pretty um, common across all you know, different studies and things. They're not in any particular order, but they're ones that are mentioned the most. So um, they are money or finances, sex, uh, kids, dealing with in-laws, and communication. And um, Scott is actually going to talk about money and sex, so <laughs> you can <laughs> wait on him for that one. <laughs> um, and I'm going to talk about communication a little bit later, specifically in how you maybe can communicate in conflict, like when you're having conflicts or fights. And we're not going to actually spend time today really talking about kids or in-laws, because I did talk about that a little bit last week. But probably the take-home message for dealing sort of the, if you're going to take home one message about dealing with kids or in-laws, it's that your marriage relationship needs to be primary. Your marriage relationship needs to be the first one, and then kids and dealing with in-laws, that kind of comes secondarily. So um, to put that one first, to put your marriage relationship first. All right? Can I just leave that? So uh, money fights and money problems, I think... That's one thing that will bring down a marriage as fast as, as probably anything else. And I also think that your financial life and how you handle money together is very likely to become a model or a metaphor, if you prefer that language, for how you're going to deal with other issues in your life. Let me tell you why I think that. First of all, I think it's because money has a really strong hold on us. Um, we just, it, it grips us. Whether we want more of it, whether we need some of it and we don't have any, it's, it can really grab a hold of us. And it's one of those things that yanks us out of our sanity sometimes. Uh, and so if we can work together as, as people in relationships to break that hold on our lives, I think that's going to be really helpful for having success in other areas of life. The other thing is that you really can't avoid money problems, right? Because... You know, if you're having another issue, you can backburner it, you can sweep it under the rug, you can um, do any number of different little metaphors for, for what it means when we decide not to deal with something. But the rent is going to be due, whether you want to pay it or not. You, you've got to have a job to make some money, whether you like that or not. And so money problems, are they, they force themselves into our lives, and we can't really avoid them. And so if you want to see how somebody's going to deal with an emergency something unplanned, something they don't have control over, and how they're going to deal with the conflict that results from that topic, look at how they deal with money. And then finally, I, the other reason that I say that is just from a very personal standpoint, um, Tracy and I made a, a very significant change to the way we handled money about two years ago, and almost every single important thing in our life together changed as a result of that change. Okay, so... Tracy's work situation is different. My work situation is different. We're having another baby. Um, this even had implications for the staff at Artisan when we started talking about some of these financial things. All as a result of, of just starting to get our act together a little bit when it comes to how we handle money. And so not only is it something that grips us and is central, and not only is it something that we can't avoid, but it's also something that, um, that uh, influences all other areas of life together. So we've, we've got to figure this out. We've got to figure out how to do this properly. Um, and so I'm going to give you a few principles for how to handle money as a married couple. And um, some of the stuff we'll talk about today will be 
for married people who are already married, you can be saying, oh, maybe we should think about that. And for people who aren't married, you know, you might be saying at the end, well, I'm glad that we talked about that today because now I know what conversations I need to have before I get into a serious relationship that might turn into, into marriage. So here's the first principle uh, when it comes to, to managing money in a marriage relationship. It's not his money and her money. It's our money. Regardless of who earned it. I really believe this is important. And I know that some of you disagree with me. Uh, um, I'm sorry about that. Um, but I think it's really important. I think it's part of, not to over-spiritualize this side of things, but it's part of two people becoming one. That verse in Genesis that we've talked about a couple of times, that they combine their lives together. They have a, they have a shared family network now. Uh, and we have, we have shared finances. And if you want something that's maybe a little bit more, um, not to invade on Chrissy's clinical content here, but one of the things that, that Tracy told me, and she's done a lot of social work type of things in her career, is that imbalance in money situations often creates a power dynamic, a power struggle, and it's very often used for controlling your spouse. Um, and, and this can lead to, actually to violence in some cases. Um, those are extreme cases perhaps. But it's very important that this is our money. We're going to work on it together. That means you combine it. That means you share it. Whether it's positive net worth or negative net worth, by the way. <laughs> you share the debt as well as the income. Hey, if you don't like it, don't get married, right? And you decide together how you're going to spend it. You decide together how you're going to spend it. Every dollar of it. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have a little walking around money. Tracy and I do this, too. You know, we have some, some cash that we carry, and, you know, if I want to buy 10 cups of coffee, I have a little bit of leeway in, my, in our financial budget to do that. But we've decided ahead of time that that exists, that freedom exists, right? So you decide how to spend all of it, every dollar, and if you want to get, you want to really excel at this, you're going to do it every month because your finances and expenses shift every month. And speaking of Excel, <laughs> uh, <laughs> spreadsheet jokes are so funny. Um, <laughs> one of you is going to be really good at Excel, and the other one's going to be terrible at Excel, probably, or some variation on that. So work together, okay? Just be aware of that. Excel person, do not abuse the non-Excel person, please. <laughs> okay, so that's the first one. Second one, you absolutely, absolutely must find the balance between spending and saving. And again, you have to work on this together. Spending and saving. Just as there's an Excel person and a non-Excel person, in almost every single marriage, there's a spendy person and a savey person, right? <laughs> now, I happen to be the spendy person. And Tracy happens to be the savey person. I'm also the Excel person, which is really weird, I guess. But So you have to compromise. Do we know what the definition of compromise is? It's that neither one of you gets your way. It sucks. <laughs> the spendy person has to be willing to spend less. And the savvy person has to be willing to spend a little more. This is called compromise. If you don't want to compromise, you are in the wrong business. The marriage business is not the one you should have gotten into. And also, not to be mean, but grow up. Right? I mean... Kids, 
little tiny kids are the ones who cry and whine when they don't get their way precisely the way they think it should go. Grown-ups are the ones who can deal with not getting their way and can navigate those waters. So be a grown-up. And then thirdly, with those two things in mind, you have to develop a plan. So you're going to share your money. You're going to work on on spending it and saving it together. Uh, You're going to work in spite of your differences to come up with a plan. And now the specifics of this plan don't ultimately matter. Now, many of you know that Tracy and I happen to prefer the plan that that some people call the Dave Ramsey plan, which is basically that we're going to stop borrowing money. We're going to spend all of our efforts on paying off our debts before we do any investing. Um, That may not be the plan you wish to pursue, and that's okay with me. I don't think that that comes direct from the mouth of God. I happen to think it works really well, but I don't think it's gospel. But you do have to have a plan, and if you can't tell me as a couple in one sentence what your financial plan is for your life together, guess what? You don't have one. You might think you do, but you don't. You've got to have a plan. So, those are the principles that I want to throw out there for dealing with money as a married couple. Um, we just don't have time to go into tons of detail. The second really big issue that Chrissy mentioned that I would talk about um, is sex, sexuality. It's another huge issue for many, many couples. And like just about everything in life, there's a good side to this and there's a not-so-good side to it. And so we'll talk about both of those things. First of all, the good side of it. I think that, that um, and, and all our kids who understand this language are, are not in the room right now. So I think that God created us and created sex and that that is designed for our enjoyment and pleasure. Right. I think that it's not only functional and procreational, but recreational, if you will. And I also feel pretty strongly that if the norm in your marriage is that you're not having regular, enjoyable sex, then that's unhealthy. And there's probably, it's probably indicative that something else is going wrong. Now, I said if that's the norm. Obviously, at different stages of life, different things happen, right? And so there's going to be a, an ebb and a flow to this. But if the norm in your marriage is that you're not having regular, enjoyable sex, that's a red flag. That's something you ought, to, you ought to talk about and get to the bottom of. And, and while you're talking about it, it's important to remember that, that sex exposes us at our most vulnerable to each other, which is one of the reasons why it's so beautiful and intimate. But it can also make it really difficult to talk about together, especially if there's a conflict going on. And so remember, when you're talking about sex together, this is your partner at his or her most vulnerable. And so you need to be gentle and sensitive when you talk about it. So the not-so-good side. Uh, Some of the challenges that married couples will experience when it comes to sex. Uh, And one of them is, I've already hinted at a little bit, is frequency. Right. I won't ask you to raise your hands and say if you've ever had a frequency problem in your marriage, um, whether you define that as, well, wh- however you define it. Um, in other words, when I say regular and enjoyable, what does regular really mean? How regular is regular? <laughs> well, I'll give you the exact same advice I gave you about spending and saving. The chances are very high that in your marriage, one person 
would define regular as a little more than the other person. That's normal. In fact, it would be abnormal, or at least very unusual, for there to be complete agreement about this, right? Um, 34.6 times a year. That's just not going to happen. And so what you have to do, what you have to do is the same thing as you do with money. You have to compromise. Not to get too nitty-gritty, but the person who wants a little more has to be willing to live with a little less. And the person who wants a little less has to be willing to live with a little more. Right? Now, do not, I will hurt you. <laughs> if you. If you abuse what I just said, if you use what I just said against your spouse on the way home, maybe, Pastor Scott said, wah, 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 wah. right? No. <laughs> it took me like two hours to write out the notes for wah, 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 wah. But I couldn't figure out how to spell it. <laughs> We're going to go way over today. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, the risk in saying something like that is that you're going to abuse each other with it. And please, please, please do not do that. Hear what I said. You need to be gentle and sensitive with each other. You need to compromise. Okay. Another common challenge with, with sex and marriage is children. From pregnancy to postpartum to crying newborns to cranky toddlers to school-age kids to teenagers who are keeping you up because you don't know where they are and you can't possibly think about anything else, I had a friend once who said, your children will always find a way to keep you up at night. <laughs> they're always going to have a way. Uh, and so they're always going to have a way to get, get in, in, in the middle of that, too, um, figuratively speaking, we hope. And so all I can say about that is just, again, be aware of it. It's so helpful when, you're, when you can name something before it happens, when you can say, I know this is going to happen. We've just got to figure out how we're going to deal with it. Let's talk about it ahead of time. And then after it happens, it's really frustrating sometimes, and you just go, life is like that. We were aware that that would be the case. Let's review the fact that we just need to talk about this and be gracious with each other. And let me underscore what Chrissy said last week. I think she absolutely hit a home run with that, and she repeated it today. But the marriage relationship, the spouse relationship is, is primary. Um, and if, you, if you're kind of in the camp of, well, I need to put my kids first, let me tell you how to put your kids first. Raise them in a happy home. So start with, start with that first relationship and build the other ones around it. All right. um, and finally, the, the, the last challenge that we need to talk about with sex today is really, to be perfectly honest, it's a little bit of an uncomfortable one, but um, I feel like we'd be skipping something really important if we didn't talk about pornography. Um, and we absolutely don't have time to go into all the detail that this topic really requires. Um, but let me say a few things about it. Firstly, we're going to there may be some generalization that goes on here about how this affects men and how it affects women. Um, I realize that that's a generalization, but it's probably also fairly accurate for the most part. Um, the first and most important rule I can give you about this is please talk about it with each other. Okay? If, if you're a married couple and you've never had this conversation with each other, you need to have it because without trying to make up some statistic, I think it's very, very, very likely that you that this is this is in your marriage, one way or another, 
now, in the past, or in the future. I think it would be the very rare exception that this doesn't ever come up for you. Um, and uh, so you need to talk about it. And if you're not talking about it yet, there's a really good chance that you're not talking about something that's, that is affecting your marriage. And you, you, you don't know it, or maybe you want to pretend that it's not, but it probably is. Uh, and I'm sorry if I spoiled your ride home. Um, but you absolutely have to talk about it. And that's the most imp- if you hear nothing else about this topic, that's the most important thing. Uh, I firmly believe that as uncomfortable and really hard as it is to shine a light on a dark topic... It's the only way to get rid of the darkness is to shine a light on it. So have that conversation um, tonight if you haven't already. Um, and there's, I, I, we just, I just can't go into the details of, of the, the why and the what and all the stuff that, that you may be wondering about. Um, this is it's a really complicated issue. There's lots of different reasons, lots of different repercussions. Um, it's different for each person, and that's, that's why you need to talk about it. Uh, and I'll also say this. I think you ought to be aware of the corresponding risk um, if, we, if we assume that pornography is primarily a male problem, which I think is a safe assumption, not entirely, but primarily that's where it begins. Uh, I think the corresponding problem for women is probably to create their own kind of uh, non-existent, unrealistic fantasy of what a relationship should be. See, the the stereotype being the man involved in pornography, he's creating a, a reality that's, that doesn't actually exist and that sometimes can encroach on the, the married reality uh, as an expectation that's completely unfair. Um, but I think that sometimes women, again, stereotyping and generalizing somewhat, create a corresponding one, whether it's you know, the back of a romance novel um, as, as the real story of what true love should really look like, or uh, we talked a little bit last week about the romantic comedy fallacy, um, soap operas, all that stuff. Again, we're generalizing, but um, we need to be aware of that corresponding reality. Um, and in both cases, the problem is that we're, we're doing something that creates an unrealistic expectation of what love really should be. Um, now, when we, there are resources available to you. If you're struggling with this issue, there's a whole range of resources. I'm not going to endorse anyone in particular, but if you have questions about that, I'd be happy to talk with you about it. There's resources for um, Internet filtering and browser history kind of stuff. There's resources for on, the, on a more counseling side of things for accountability with each other, for someone to talk to if you're dealing with this or your spouse is dealing with it. Um, so talk to, and, and Christy's aware of some of these as well, so you can talk to either one of us and we'll, we'll help point you in the right direction. But let me stress that the most important resource that you have with this situation is each other, is your own hearts. And so you need to establish a pattern of confession and forgiveness in your marriage. For this and for all kinds of other issues as well, and we'll talk more about that when we get to the biblical side of things in just a minute. Um, But establish that pattern, confess and forgive. uh, And and that that will get you most of the way there in most cases, I think. Um... So let me turn it over to Chrissy uh, for some more talk. Okay, so um, now I'm going to move into talking about communication and how to talk about conflict and how to talk about it when you have fights or when things are going, things are going wrong with that. Um, Specifically with conflict and talking about conflict, 
it's not so much what the issue is, what you're having problems with, but it's how you handle the conflict. It's how you communicate about it. Um, and research actually on uh, romantic relationships pretty strongly shows that negative behaviors and negative um, negative uh, interaction is stronger than it has a stronger effect than positive behaviors and positive interaction. Unfortunately, right? Because we'd love it if, however much we say, like I love you and you're wonderful and like being really supportive and like you know hugging your spouse. That stuff is good. But it's not as strong as the negative stuff. So if you're really mean and attacking, if you yell at your partner, if you curse at your partner, if you are mocking to them, that stuff can have a more harmful impact on your relationship than the positive behaviors. Um, again, I don't want you to hear me say don't do the positive behaviors because you should, because that is great and that's really helpful and supportive. But try to minimize the negative behaviors. If you're going to put energy somewhere, then try to decrease the amount of um, how negative you are. Um, but let me specifically define what I mean by negative behavior. So I did say a little bit like um, attacking your partner, uh, yelling at them, swearing at them, um, obviously like physical, any type of physical um, interaction, like hitting or anything. Um, but there have actually been a few specific behaviors that have been identified uh, by a particular um, really famous marital researcher named John Gottman. And he calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse <laughs> because they are like the heralds of bad things to come. <laughs> um, and before I say what they are, though, um, we all do them sometimes. So if you do them, I don't want you to think, oh, gosh, our relationship is doomed. Like, this is awful. We all do them sometimes. But the point is to reduce the amount of times that we do them. Um, so the first is, well, I'll say them all first. Criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. Um, so what I mean by criticism is um, if, some, if you're having a fight with your, with your partner, you're going and saying, instead of having a, having a fault with the situation or whatever it is that they're doing, you're saying there's something wrong with them. So it's a character attack. Um, so maybe if, if you are mad at your partner because they're really messy, like they leave towels on the bathroom floor, instead of saying, you know, I, it really bothers me when you leave towels on the bathroom floor, going one step further and saying something like, you're such a slob. Why do you always do this? Using words like always or never, that's really kind of in line with this sort of criticism. It's attacking your partner and basically um, saying something's wrong with them, not so much what, what they're doing or what the situation is. Um, defensiveness is like denying responsibility, or it can even sometimes be going on the offensive. So if your partner brings something up to you, like the same thing with leaving towels on the bathroom floor, you know, the defensive response would be, wait, what are you talking about? You're the one who always leaves dirty dishes in the sink. Like, instead of actually acknowledging responsibility for what you've done, going on the attack. Um, contempt is mocking, like mocking your partner or thinking or saying things that indicate that you think you're better than them, putting them on um, kind of on a ground below you. Um, that could be something like if you're having, again, the same fight about the towels on the floor in the bathroom. Um, the, slob, the, the slob comment is actually kind of like contempt or just being like, oh, you're such a, I can't believe you can't get this. Everybody gets this. Why are you such a slob? Like, I'm being contemptuous with how I'm saying that. That is not, not helpful. And then finally, stonewalling, which uh, is completely either cutting off the interaction, withdrawing from the interaction. It may be just refusing to talk about it or just leaving um, just completely stonewalling and stopping the interaction. So those are some specific negative behaviors that we should all try to avoid. So how can you avoid them? What can you do? Um, 
Well, for example, there are, there are a couple of different kinds of behaviors that sometimes couples can engage in when they're having arguments with one another, particularly you know, if it's about a, an issue that comes up again and again or maybe just a, a one-time issue. Um, so if you, for example, have a tendency to engage in escalation, so you lob insults back at each other, you know, your partner brings up some sort of complaint and then you up the ante. Um, that's not a good thing. <laughs> so uh, with solutions for that, try kind of doing the opposite. I know this is hard, by the way. I'm not saying that any of this stuff is easy or that it's going to come like natural or magic, but it's stuff that you can keep, your, keep in your head when you're thinking about this, these things. So if you tend to escalate, if that's a pattern between you and your partner, then try calming down. Try cooling down. You can say, you know what? I need a minute. Let's take a pause and like just cool down a little bit. Or maybe try to soften your tone a little bit or act with humility. So just trying to de-escalate the situation instead of raising it up. Um, another common sort of um, pattern that couples might engage in when they're arguing is invalidation. So saying um, that your partner's feelings aren't you know, valid or their thoughts aren't valid. Um, so Jonathan may joke with me and say something like, you know, your, feeling, your feelings aren't really, that's not a really rational thing to, to feel. That's not a rational argument. Joking, of course. <laughs> um, that can be invalidating. <laughs> <laughs> so that's sort of that's an example though of you know an, a hypothetical example when someone could validate you <laughs> so the way to, around that is the opposite is validation you don't have to understand or agree with your partner or their thoughts or their feelings to validate them you do not have to do that all you have to say is sounds like you're really hurting right now or I hear that you're really upset that is validating. It's literally like restating what they're feeling. It's not necessarily saying you agree with it, but it's validating the fact that they feel it. Um, another common uh, cycle that, that couples get into is negative interpretation. So you're maybe believing that your partner's motives or what they're doing are more negative than they actually are. So maybe they might come in the door and say something really innocent, and you kind of, maybe it's your pattern to interpret it as much, negative, much more negative than it actually is. Um, so in that type of situation, just... Try to be open to the fact that you might be wrong or look for evidence to the contrary. You know, maybe what they said actually didn't have that negative meaning. Think about why, you know, maybe it's not true, the negative way that you interpreted it. And finally, I already mentioned this a little bit with stonewalling. Couples can get into a withdrawal or avoidance pattern. Um, and so, again, that's leaving or avoiding arguments. And often, actually, a common pattern that's found in couples with in um, therapy and in research is a pursuer distancer pattern so usually it's women who are the pursuers and men who are like the distancers or withdrawers that doesn't always happen that way but it's just more common um so kind of like the compromise stuff that scott was talking about you kind of have to come a little ways towards the middle in both situations so if you have this pattern in your marriage and you notice that you're the pursuer then try to kind of ease off a little bit, be a little bit more gentle, a little bit more polite when you bring up issues. If you're the withdrawer, then respond with attention. You know, be concerned when your partner's bringing something up so you both sort of come towards the middle a little bit. Um, there are a couple other different solutions that are common among therapy um, circles, like saying things like using I statements instead of you statements. So instead of saying, like, you do this all the time, you, you really make me mad, say something like, I feel really upset when this happens. I, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's putting the emphasis on you and how you feel. Another thing is, uh, it's called the speaker-listener technique. And 
with this is when you're talking about a conflict or when you're talking really about anything that matters that you want to talk about. It's a, a situation where you kind of set up some rules. So both the speaker and the listener have equal time, but when it's the speaker's turn, the speaker has the floor and they can't be interrupted. And the listener needs to paraphrase what the speaker said. So the speaker says whatever they're concerned about and the listener responds with a paraphrase. It lets the speaker know that they've been heard, but everybody has equal time, um, but they don't interrupt each other. Um, and then finally, I, um, wanted to touch a little bit on forgiveness, which Scott's going to touch on too. Um, but research suggests that this is a two way street in terms of forgiveness and marital happiness. So, um, the more seeking and giving of forgiveness that there is, um, in relationships, um, it's also, it's associated with happier marriages and it's associated with longer marriages. And then there's also research suggesting the opposite relationship. So the happier you are, the more you forgive, um, but forgiveness, it's important to know what forgiveness is and what it isn't. So forgiveness is sort of like canceling a debt. It's giving up your, um, your right to get even or to hold someone for a debt maybe that they owe you. Um, it's an active process that you make a decision about. It's not forgetting what happened, and it's not ceasing to feel all pain about what happened. Um, but it's really important, specifically with forgiveness, but also with um, conflict, to work together as a team and to kind of come to these solutions together. So Chrissy's shared with you a number of um, uh, options for conflict resolution and how to re respond to them that are borne out in research and in therapy. And I want to conclude our time together today by looking at some of the what the Bible has to say about conflict. Um, and so since we're running a little bit long here, I'm going to unfortunately have to go through this more quickly than I would like to. But if you'd like to, you can write down the Bible verses as we go, and you can look at them at home. Um, also, remember, if you have any questions about what we've talked about today, write those down as well, and we'll, we'll collect those at the end, and we'll answer them in a couple of weeks. But the first one is this, James 1, 19 and 20. It says, You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, Slow to anger. Very similar to some of the things that Chrissy just said. And here's what, what James says in addition to that. Your, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Being angry is not going to solve this problem on a spiritual level. Um, a very famous teaching of Jesus, Matthew 7, 5. You, you will all have heard this before. You hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. So instead of attacking your partner for what you see is wrong in him or her, look inwardly and see if maybe there's something that you are doing to contribute to the problem. One of my favorite verses from Proverbs, Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It speaks to escalation. How easy is it to change the direction of this conversation with one word that you choose? And then finally, uh, to talk a little bit about confession and forgiveness. Again, from the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Um, now, I, I don't think that confession needs to take the form of a, uh, of a formalized process that you do within the church, though um, I think that's appropriate to do sometimes as well. I think confession needs to start at home. Confess your sins to your spouse when you have harmed your spouse. 
and then pray for each other. Ephesians 4 tells us what the next step is after you've heard this confession. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. That last bit sort of levels the playing field for us, doesn't it? We need to forgive because we have been forgiven. And on the ultimate spiritual level, the forgiveness that we've received is vastly more significant than the one that we could ever offer, regardless of how we've been harmed. Um, and I'll re- I'll, I won't repeat, but let me just underscore what Chrissy said about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Uh, but we're commanded to do it, and we're given a very logical reason why we ought to. Forgive one another as God and Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And then let me repeat the, the first one that I said to you a minute ago from James chapter 1. Your anger does not produce God's righteousness. And I think sometimes we have a little bit of a, a Messiah complex in our household arguments, don't we? I need to fix this person. I am holier than this person. Your anger does not produce God's righteousness. God's righteousness comes from another place altogether. And so you seek to forgive. Confess and forgive. If you forget everything else that we said today, I think you'd do really well taking that home. Confess and forgive. Um, And I've asked Chrissy to close us with a word of prayer today. All right, so let's pray. Um, God, we thank you for... For who you are, and we thank you that you are um, the ultimate example of love and faithfulness and forgiveness. Um, I pray that we would be able to take home today um, the messages that you wanted us to hear, and Lord, that you would just bring restoration, healing, and love to all of our relationships, whether they're with um, partners or they're with uh, children or family members. Um, God, teach us, help us to be open to your leading, help us to feel um, the prick of the Holy Spirit when. You know, we need to offer more tenderness and more love to our partners. And thank you, God, um, for talking about relationships in your words so that we can learn about them and learn how to, how to honor you with them. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.